Wrestling. I'm your host, Gentleman Ian, and in this video, we are going to be running down what took place on the January 19th, 2022 edition of AEW Dynamite. And of course, this is the episode of Dynamite, which featured the return of John Moxley, the former AEW world champion. He's been gone since late October. Of course, it was announced by Tony Khan that he was entering a drug and alcohol rehabilitation clinic. Uh, it was announced earlier this week that Moxley will be returning to the ring at GCW's pay-per-view from the sold-out Hammerstein Ballroom on Sunday. Obviously, that's a huge show for them, and having Moxley on the show is a big deal for them. He's their world champion. He'll be taking on Homicide. Homicide won a Royal Rumble-style match for that promotion a few weeks ago. So that's great for GCW. That's great for John Moxley. It's great for fans of John Moxley. Then after that, it was announced that Moxley would be making his return uh, Dynamite this Wednesday. And on the show, it was later revealed that Moxley will make his in-ring return to AEW this Friday on Rampage. So Moxley comes out. He looks great. He looks like trimmer, thinner, leaner. I think those three words all mean the same thing. But he was all three of those. And he comes out. He's getting ready to cut. You know, an intense promo. He's throwing things and kicking over garbage cans on his way to the ring. And I don't know what I. So this has happened a few times now where there's like one fan who does something really stupid and it ends up kind of making the whole fan base look a little dumb. Like, remember a little while ago, somebody had that transphobic sign for Nyla Rose. You're just like, what? What's how did that? Ah, those are the sounds that you would make when when you discovered that. You're like, ah, 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 those kinds of sounds. And there was some other stuff. There were like, you know, just guys. Well, anyway, there was some some bad apples on this show. And one of them really made himself known early on. And I had to go on social media to find out what exactly this fan yelled out. And what people are writing is that this fan yelled out, boo, get this drunken guy off the out of the ring or something like that. Moxley just, you know, fairly calmly tells the guy to go F himself and and then just continued on with his promo. But it was just done in such a John Moxley way that I was like, oh, I'm so glad that Moxley's back. Dro dropping an F bomb three minutes into the show. All right. I'm glad this guy's going to be back on the show. And that, of course, is the best part about John Moxley being back, is uh, that he's back, that he's on the show now. <laughs> so anyway, so Moxley cuts this promo. This was like an intense promo that people will talk about for years to come when they say, like, what are some of the best promos of recent years? Inevitably, somebody's going to bring up this it was only like a six, seven minute promo, but some people are going to bring up Moxley when he returned uh, in January of 2022 and saying that, well, because he had some great lines, like the line where he said, I'm thirsty, but the only thing I drink now is blood. It's like, Jesus, good Lord, Moxley. That sounds like a violent individual. Uh, and that was basically the gist of his promo. He, he didn't build up any angles or anything. More or less just saying, I'm back. And I'm 
going to tear us up. I'm going to tear stuff up, basically, was what he said. And that was that was all he needed to. But I, I noticed, like, how quick of a promo or how short of a promo it was. Because sometimes AEW's opening segments, they go for, like, 20 minutes and you don't get uh, commercial or anything. It's just 20 minutes of uninterrupted first segment. This first segment went about eight minutes and then we went to commercial. So I'm not sure if what was said was basically, hey, okay, Moxley, what are you going to do for your promo? I don't know. I'm just going to go out there and we'll see how long things take. And they went to commercial after his promo was done. And that's 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 why the first the opening segment this week was shorter than it is most weeks. But it was exactly what it needed to be. And now John Moxley's back. And later in the show, uh, Ethan Page would kind of cut a promo on him. And now we're going to get Ethan Page versus John Moxley on Rampage, which should be a great match because John Moxley's really good at wrestling. And Ethan Page is also really good at wrestling. So that'll be great. So there's not really much more else to say about John Moxley's promo. It was great. It solidified that he's back and he's going to be back in the mix. And he's taking on Ethan Page on Friday. And he told a fan to go F himself. It was perfect for what it needed to be. And then next up, so like our first match of the show, then we got, I think the match that a lot of people were looking forward to, maybe the most on the show, the mixed tag match featuring Adam Cole and Britt Baker going up against Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. And if you look at the match results that this elite versus best friends rivalry has had, it's almost always the elite beating the best friends. The only example I can find of the best friends beating the elite in this rivalry was the December 15th edition of Rampage, where Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy, Rocky Romero, and Trent Beretta defeated Bobby Fish, Adam Cole, and the Young Bucks. Other than that, it's been, it's been the elite going over the best friends in basically every match, including Adam Cole defeating Orange Cassidy in singles action on the December 22nd edition of Dynamite. On New Year's Smash, Adam Cole and Red Dragon beat the best friends in Orange Cassidy. Um, uh, what else happened here? So uh, Adam Cole and Bobby Fish defeated Orange Cassidy and Wheeler, Utah on the Rampage that aired or sorry, on the ramp, the November 24th rampage. And basically it's just other than that one match from December 15th, it's been the elite beating the best friends in like everything, including Adam Cole beating orange Cassidy in singles action. So I thought, man, Stadlander and orange Cassidy, they really need to get a win here for the best friends. But I, I wasn't sure that Adam Cole and Britt Baker were going to lose in their first, tag match together right so there was a lot of uncertainty on my end in terms of who was actually going to win this match and that's not something that always happens in a there are matches in aew where you're like i know 100 percent who is going to win this match i'm not saying that it shouldn't be like that but sometimes it's real easy to predict who's going to uh who's going to win a match in aew but not this one and so there was a lot of near falls that i completely bought um like, there was a time where I believe Orange Cassidy gave Adam Cole the beach break, and I thought that could be the end. There was Adam Cole giving Orange Cassidy the uh, Panama Sunrise, and 
and the, and then kicked out of it. So there was a lot of near falls that I completely bought, but in the end, the finish was so Chris Chris Statlander has been taken out of the match because Britt Baker uh, gave her a Canadian destroyer on the ramp. So you've got Orange Cassidy and Adam Kohler in the ring. There's a table set up uh, ringside. Britt Baker gets up on the apron on that side. Meanwhile, in the ring, Orange Cassidy misses the that uh, orange punch. Is that what it is? Orange crush? Orange punch? Misses that big punch that he does. Ends up kind of ricocheting off Britt Baker. Doesn't hit her with the punch, but like bounces off the ropes. She goes through a table. And then Orange Cassidy is distracted that he's put Baker through a table. Adam Cole looks like he's just going to murder Orange Cassidy for hurting a Brit. Uh, and he more or less did that. He walks up. He gives Orange Cassidy a huge low blow, then does his running knee to the back of the head, pins him. But then later in the show, he's still upset at what Orange Cassidy did to Britt Baker and challenges him to a match next week, a lights out match. So basically hardcore, anything goes, no rules. Uh, they turn the lights out. AEW's not officially sanctioning it. And also, importantly, it doesn't count in the rankings. doesn't count in the win-loss records. And I wonder if that's going to be the blow-off to this feud. Like, is that going to be the final match in the best friends versus elite rivalry? It still seems like we've got more to go in this rivalry. Like, some big faction versus faction match, maybe at Revolution or something like that. But it seems like Orange Cassidy really needs to get his win back. But wait, what would that even matter in a lights out match since the results don't matter? Whatever. I don't know. We're going to have Orange Cassidy versus uh, Adam Cole in a lights out match next week. And that, I imagine, is going to be very good. CM Punk taking on Sean Spears. And I knew this would be a little interesting because of what happened last week. And we talked about it on the review show last week where CM Punk came away from that match with Wardlow not looking very good at all. Like he basically got powerbombed to oblivion, sustained a uh, or withstood a symphony of powerbombs, if you will, uh, and then rolled up Wardlow and, and got the victory. So before this match, we, we get a backstage promo with MJF saying like, uh, he was giving <laughs> so in true MJF fashion, he starts like uh, he 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 wants to offer an apology to Wardlow for losing his cool. Gives him like sort of a half apology and then says, "But you did put your hands on me, big guy, so I've got to dock your pay." And he also made some snide remarks about how like if Wardlow had a little bit more seasoning, he wouldn't have uh, gotten pinned there by CM Punk like he did. So it was all these like little hints where it's like MJF says everything's cool with him and Wardlow, but we, the audience knows that it's not. And we're just sort of waiting, waiting to see what's going to happen. Is Wardlow going to turn on MJF at some point? If so, when, you know, because they've been teasing Wardlow turning on MJF for like a year. It could still be a while before it actually happens. We don't know. So anyway, so uh, CM Punk made short work of Sean Spears. Very short work. Uh, the bell rings. Spears comes at him. Punk picks him up, gives him the GTS, pins him, and then 
That's it. So after after being brutally beaten by Wardlow last week, he convincingly defeats Sean Spears this week. And I wonder if a little of that was to try and remind everyone that CM Punk is a really good wrestler because that was very much forgotten last week when Wardlow was powerbombing him into oblivion. So then after the match, MJF comes out and he's going to attack Punk. Uh, but Punk turns around. MJF flees, but he leaves his scarf in the ring. MJF's iconic scarf. He abandons the scarf so he can get away from Punk. Punk then celebrates on the uh, ropes with MJF's scarf. So it was kind of like a quick segment for such a major angle that's going on in AEW. And they didn't announce another match for Punk next week. Or the like, we didn't hear what the next chapter in CM Punk versus MJF is going to be. Is there going to be something next week? Is he going to take on someone from FTR? Is he going to take on someone else from the Pinnacle? What's going to happen? And when exactly are we going to get CM Punk versus Maxwell Jacob Friedman? And I think there was a hint about this dropped in uh, like a vignette, like a video that they played, like a, just a video package that they played. They've, it's on YouTube as well, but it was also broadcast on Dynamite last night. And Punk says a line about MJF is going to have to end up facing me in a place that nobody wants to face CM Punk or something along those lines. And then I thought, wait a second. AEW is back in Chicago on February 2nd at the Wintrust Arena. That seems like a perfect place for CM Punk versus MJF. Because the last time they were in Chicago, that's when there was that big, iconic promo battle between the two. CM Punk in Chicago going toe-to-toe on the mic with Maxwell Jacob Friedman, and it was amazing. So to then come back and you've, you have that match between Punk and MJF, I think that would be pretty big. But then you're sort of giving away that match on Dynamite as opposed to at the Revolution pay-per-view. I don't know. So they, they might not do Punk and MJF uh, in Chicago in two weeks. That's just you know me speculating based on the fact that they're in Chicago in two weeks. The other option is that they do it on the pay-per-view, on the Knicks pay-per-view. But that's still a long ways away. So that's sort of the thing when you're just doing quarterly pay-per-views. You, you've got to give away big matches on, on television or else you're not having big matches. So we'll see what's next in this uh, storyline. But I wouldn't imagine that they're just not going to have anything to do with punk versus MJF next week, even though they haven't announced anything. So we'll see, we'll see what's next in this storyline. So here is where we talk about Cody Rhodes for this week. So, all right. A report came out that Cody Rhodes is technically a free agent. And this was reported by fight. And we didn't put anything up on our side about it because it's kind of a ridiculous story. Everyone in AEW who signed originally signed like like right when they first announced the, the promotion. They signed three-year deals that include an option uh, that if Tony Khan wants or if AEW wants, they can extend the contract by two years 
however, if they extend the contract by two years, the performer gets like a pay bump. And so that's what happened like with uh, the Young Bucks. That's what happened. Like, like all these wrestlers have come out and said, okay, my option got picked up for, for two years. And so that's what happened with the Young Bucks. That's what happened with Tony Schiavone. Um, so <laughs> I would imagine, and I would be greatly surprised if Cody Rhodes's contract did not include this option for AEW to extend by two years. And I'm not the biggest, like, you guys know, I, I always think it's a good idea to take anything that comes from an anonymous source with a grain of salt. However, when it comes to AEW, I feel very confident that they're in contact with the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Like, because Tony Khan has been on Observer Radio all the time. Tony Khan has said, you know, he's been a subscriber to the, the newsletter since he was a kid. And so Dave Meltzer has really thrown cold water on this rumor. He's like, it just doesn't make any sense. Cody Rhodes is tied to like, because Cody Rhodes has that reality show or that go big show on TNT or TBS or whatever. And, and, and like he signed on to do another year of that. So like, him leaving AEW makes no sense considering he's got that other show. And also, very likely, Tony Khan has the option to just extend his contract for two years. So the idea that Cody Rhodes is leaving AEW anytime soon seems incredibly remote. But there was this rumor kind of floated around. I believe it was Fightful that reported it, that, that Cody Rhodes is a free agent. And technically... That might be right because Cody had to isolate for like two weeks because someone in his family uh, tested positive for COVID. So he was in isolation and his contract is coming up at the end of the, like everybody's contracts were coming up at the end of the year because that's when they first signed those deals. Remember, AEW was announced like on New Year's Day 2019. Um. So it might be a case where, like, he just hasn't signed a new deal or, or signed, like, an agreement to the extension because he literally has not been able to be there in person. So it might be the case that he's technically a free agent or he's technically not covered under a contract right now, but he's not going anywhere. And so Dave Meltzer said his impression is that for whatever reason, AEW wanted this rumor out there. They wanted this rumor that he was a free agent, that he could show up in the Royal Rumble, even though the likelihood of Cody Rhodes ending up in the Royal Rumble, I won't say it's zero, but it's pretty close to zero. Like, it would be very shocking. And there were fans during Cody's promo on Dynamite this week chanting Royal Rumble. And I thought, that's two strikes against this crowd. The first strike was the guy that heckled John Moxley. The second strike is the guys chanting Royal Rumble while Cody's in the ring. I thought, like, all right. Hopefully there will be better fans for Rampage on Friday. But Cody, caught, uh, Cody cut, like, a really impassioned promo this week. And he mentioned, he did, like a, like, one little remark during the promo that referenced these rumors of him being a free agent. 
and he was talking about having a match next week with Sammy Guevara and said, I got a contract in the mail from Tony Khan. Maybe not the contract I wanted, which I guess is like a reference to the the free agency thing. And so I wonder if this is just all storyline, right? Like if uh, they want a storyline where Cody Rhodes is a free agent negotiating a new deal with Tony Khan and and sending out this rumor to various websites was their way of sort of kickstarting it. Because they're going somewhere with Cody and it's going to be somewhere very unique. Like whenever Cody Rhodes does an interview and they ask him about turning heel or what's going on with him getting booed and stuff like that, he more or less says, like, stay tuned. We're, we're going somewhere where you don't expect. We're going somewhere that hasn't been gone before. And so who knows what that is? But I thought this week that he, he got closer to turning heel than he has yet. Which is funny because during the promo, he specifically said he's not turning heel. But he cut a promo which more or less took credit for everything that's happened in wrestling since 2016. And Cody Rhodes does uh, deserve a lot of credit for everything that's happened in wrestling in 2016. Him taking a chance on himself, then going uh, and leaving WWE in 2016, then hooking up with uh, the Young Bucks and Ring of Honor, doing some stuff in New Japan, but mainly him wanting to put on this this all-in show and saying, like, no, we can do a show with 10,000 fans. We can sell it out. Let's do it. I mean, that's one of the most important things to have kick-started AEW and kick-started a new era of wrestling, the one that we're in now. And he talked about how before there was a forbidden door, I was the one building it. And that's kind of true. You know, he did break down a lot of barriers in wrestling by doing what he did and create a lot of opportunities for people that would not have otherwise had those opportunities. And he also said, so he, he talked about CM Punk's pipe bomb promo and how a lot of the things that CM Punk said he wanted to do, like, are things that Cody ended up actually doing. And I thought the way that he kind of delivered that line was very heelish. Like he wanted fans to get on him a little bit, to, to boo him a little bit. Because the idea is, even though I agree with Cody, that, that much of what he said, if not all of what he said in his promo is absolutely true. There's something about bragging, or not bragging about it, or like boasting about it, or not like definitely not being humble about your contributions. That's very heelish. And so it made me think, Oh, is this it? Is this the moment where he goes heel? But he would also say in this promo, you know why I won't turn heel. And he says, because the fans cheered for him when he really needed it most. And then I was like, okay, all right, maybe is he, I don't, I have no idea. I have no idea if Cody Rhodes has turned, uh, turned heel or is turning heel. And I also don't think the Cody Rhodes character, I think the guy himself, the performer, knows where everything's going. I think Cody Rhodes, the character, has no idea if he's heel or not. 
Cody Rhodes, the character, wants to be babyface, but I don't know if he is. And so there's there's so much gray area with Cody Rhodes right now that I find it very interesting. And I again started to think about how ridiculous it is that fans boo. Ah, okay, I understand booing Cody Rhodes. I 100% understand it. Because he can come off a little full of himself. Like he thinks he's such a big superstar that he has this elaborate entrance or he's such a big superstar. He has to wear suits all the time and get his own reality show. Like it does feel like there's a little bit of an ego to Cody Rhodes or a little bit of a he's full of himself type attitude. But you really can't argue how good Cody Rhodes has been for wrestling. He is such a passionate guy. Definitely about wrestling. I'm sure he's passionate about other things, too. He certainly seems that way. But it was his, like, unwavering passion for pro wrestling that led him to take a chance on himself in 2016. He gave up, you know, like, he could have had a career in WWE for the for the for as long as he wanted it. He wouldn't have been that top guy that he wanted to be, but he'd be making money. He'd be doing stuff in the mid card, like, you know, they weren't going to cut Cody Rhodes. Not not the son of Dusty Rhodes. And, and he also just has too much to offer. They were, But him doing that, him doing all in, him doing the Bullet Club leadership angle, which I think that angle has a lot to do with AEW's early success as well. Because that angle where he's competing for leadership of the Bullet Club and being such a nasty heel before AEW... That was so good. And then they had matches in Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling, and it really set the stage for, um, you know, the elite being an entity of of their own. So I thought, I, I, I just thought this was like an incredible promo. And so much of what he said about his contributions to wrestling are totally true. I have no idea if he's heel or babyface at this point. I have no idea if he's going to go healer baby fo- face at any point he might just be this might just be where he is where he believes he's a baby face he does some heelish things people boo him other people do cheer him i don't know but i'm really intrigued in all of this like cody rhodes whenever he comes out i i just want to know where everything's going uh, i i'm hanging off of everything that he does I get why people boo him, but I think you've you've also got to respect him because everything he does, he puts 100% of himself into, and he did that with this promo, and it was very excellent. And also, <laughs> uh, it was built up that he will be taking on Sammy Guevara in a ladder match for the undisputed TNT Championship next week. That should be a very good match. Then next up, we had a tag match featuring the Kings of the Black Throne, or Kings of the Dark Throne, Kings of the Kings of the Black Throne, Malachi Black and Brody King. Of course, Brody King debuted last week. They're taking on the Varsity Blondes, who are still none too pleased about Malachi Black spitting the mist in the face of Julia Hart. Julia Hart is still seen wearing an eye patch. 
Um, so there was, <laughs> so Pillman goes to do his springboard clothesline during this match, but he just, he just can't work up the confidence to do it. And of course this is in reference to his match against Malachi black recently, where he went for that move slipped and then got kicked in the face and pinned. So he's like, I can't do it. And, but basically other than uh, that, this match was, was more or less just building up black and Brody King. They hit a move that's being called Dante's Inferno, which is a really interesting book and story. So they hit that, and they pin the Varsity Blondes fairly quickly. I don't know what this means for the Varsity Blondes, if they're still going to be feuding with Malachi Black, or if this was just, a, you know, it's like, okay, Black's beat them both in singles. Now they've beaten them in tags. Are, the, are these two done? And then we've got, but like... <sighs> The Varsity Blondes seem like there's some type of, like, like this rivalry with Malachi Black has changed them. The the Mist, there's a rumor that the Mist, whenever somebody's hit with it, they just turn a little darker, a little angrier. And that's what we're seeing from Julia Hart. She's now got the eye patch. She's not doing her cheerleading stuff as much. Still a little bit, but there's, like, like a little bit of a darkness that sort of creeped into Julia Hart a little bit. And it actually reminds me of, I don't know if they discussed this on Dark Side of the Ring, but Luna Vachon, when she first came into like Florida Championship Wrestling, she was like a mild-mannered reporter, but then Kevin Sullivan slapped her, and it just sent her on a dark path to where she became Luna Vachon. And I'm wondering if like something similar could happen to Julia Hart, if this mist getting sprayed in her face just took her down a dark path. And well, I mean, we'll see like, like people think that that might happen. I don't know. I'm not as convinced. I think maybe Julia Hart might get over this and go back to just being Julia Hart and the varsity blondes. Doesn't seem like they have like, doesn't seem like there's much good reason to break up the trio of, Julia Hart, Griff Garrison, and Brian Pillman. Like, they're a fairly popular tag team. They, I, I, you know, Garrison and Pillman are both very young and still fairly inexperienced in the business. So being in a tag team is great for them. Julia Hart, I think, is, like, in her early 20s, maybe not even that. So she's got, she's still got a long time in her development. And this act of being in the Varsity Blondes, where they seem to be high school jocks in the 80s, for some reason, I don't know. I think it's perfect for them. So I I don't know if I want to see Julia Hart go down the Luna Vachon path, but it's it's something that's in the back of my head whenever I see her with that eye patch. I was like, oh, is she going down the Luna Vachon path? I don't know. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. This might be the end of the Varsity Blondes involved with Mal with the House of Black, though, because I just don't see where else they get involved because they've been beaten every time. And it, and the house of black is moving into uh, the, like what, what seems like it's going to be an epic rivalry with the death triangle. And so after this match, a video featuring pack is played on the big screen. And if you remember from last week, pack had that really cool video where he, his eyes are all bandaged up and he talks because, you know, he got the mist blown in his face by, Malachi Black, and he's like, I don't know if I'll ever see again, but now I see more clearly than ever before. And so this week, very similar video plays, except for at the end of it, 
pack takes off the eye bandages. His eyes seem fine. And so I guess that's to imply that he's ready to return and could come back at any moment. So that was cool. And so I can't wait. Now, so now, like, we could get Pack and Pentagon versus the Kings of the Black Throne. We could get Pack versus Malister, uh, Malister, <laughs> Malachi Black. So a lot of different places we can go with the Death Triangle and the House of Black. Also concerning the Death Triangle, or Death Triangle, uh, Phoenix is expected to be back around mid-February. That's the latest injury update on him. He didn't suffer a broken elbow or anything, just uh, dislocated it and is expected back in a few weeks, which is amazing because watching that injury took place, I thought, oh, that's going to take forever to repair that arm because it just it just looked like his arm had been basically snapped in half. But no, just dislocated, and, and he'll be back in a few weeks, and he'll be taking part in this rivalry, which should be pretty fun. <laughs> Next up, we had Lance Archer versus Frankie Kazarian. This was an unadvertised match, but there had been a match pitting Lee Johnson and Brock Anderson against FTR, and that match got scrapped. Uh, I don't think they've really announced what happened, but, you know, somebody tested positive for COVID or was, like, in contact with somebody that tested positive for COVID. That, that's, that's what happens in, in 2022. Uh, so... This wasn't like a squash match, like Kazarian was in it, but it was definitely a match that was that was meant to build Lance Archer up as a tough challenge for Hangman Page. And the other sort of interesting thing that's happening here is that now it looks like Dan Lambert is with, aligned with Lance Archer and Jake the Snake Roberts was also there, too. So Jake Roberts, like we hadn't seen Jake Roberts on AEW programming for a long time. And what they said was that they were just trying to keep him safe because he has some lung issues. So they didn't want him catching COVID. But then recently he did catch COVID, got over it. And now it's like, well, you know, now he just got over COVID. So there's no reason for him to not be on the shows. So he's back. He's with Lance Archer. But now Dan Lambert seems to be aligning with them and feuding with Hangman Page and his whole thing, the whole angle that he comes at this storyline with is that Hangman Page isn't a real cowboy, not like Bob Orton or Bill Watts or any of the cowboys for, uh, of the past. And we, we saw like a, like a video featuring Hangman Page's response to that. And he basically just said, you know, what do you think after eight days on the road, cowboy Bob Orton came home and herded cattle? Uh, so after the match, after Archer defeats Frankie Kazarian, um, Dan Lambert rambles on a little bit about Cowboys and wrestling. Archer says he's, he's going to show Paige what he can do. Goes to give Kazarian a choke slam on the chair. Paige comes out and makes the rescue. And this further builds up the idea that we are building towards a hangman Paige and Lance Archer world title match. Now, I'd sort of mentioned this last week, like not that I'm complaining or anything, but it still feels a little like all Lance Archer did to earn a title shot is come out and attack Hangman Page. And that just seems like a logical uh, hole in the storytelling, right? Like if all you need to do to earn a title shot is attack the champion, then why is not everybody just doing that? 
What's the storyline reason for just not running out and attacking the champion? Because if you do that, you seem like you get a title shot. So in my head, in my like it, when you have to do things in your head to make a storyline make sense, whether it's movies, TV shows, wrestling, real life sometimes, um, it's called headcanon. When you just kind of like make up an explanation in your head. I have headcanon for this. So the reason why people that run out and attack the champion are often given title matches after is that the promoter of the promotion is the one that allowed them to go out and attack the champion, right? Like, like, you know, if you're sitting at the back or whatever, and it looks like, like Griff Garrison's about to nothing against Griff Garrison, Griff Garrison's about to run out and attack hangman page, but you're at the back and then the people in the, in the gorilla position. So Tony Khan or whatever is like, wait, what are you doing? And Griff Garrison's like, I'm going to attack the champion. Then I'll get a title shot. Tony Khan would be like, no, 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 you can't do that. You're not allowed. You'll be suspended. And then Garrison's like, oh, uh, all right, I'll go sit down. But then Lance Archer comes up and he looks like he's going to go out and attack the champion. Tony Khan's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to go out and attack the champion. Then I'll get a title shot. And Tony Khan was like, okay. So he'll allow some people to run in and attack the champion and then get a title shot, but not others. I, I don't know if that works for you. It works for me. A backstage segment and they'd been teasing like legit Layla Hirsch was going heel because she'd had all these disagreements both on dynamite rampage, but also like on dark episodes where she had sort of not been getting along with either Chris Statlander or Red Velvet. So backstage, basically, she confronts Chris Statlander about having been in that that match with uh, Britt Baker and Adam Cole. Then Red Velvet says something. Then Hirsch attacks Velvet. Statlander goes to check on Velvet. Hirsch attacks her, too. So legit Layla Hirsch is now a heel and will be moving into a program with Chris Statlander and Red Velvet. So that's pretty good. Like, Layla Hirsch seems like someone that we could really flesh out and become a, a more important part of the AEW women's division. I think I expressed last week, and I still feel this way, uh, that she would make a really good member of Team Taz. Now, I mean, you know, if they don't want to go that route, that's fine, too. Uh, still think she can do some cool stuff as a heel. But what with Britt Baker joining the elite, we've got Chris Statlander and the best friends. I just think it, w it would be cool if more competitors from the women's division were involved in factions. Um, you know, I think I said before that Serena Deeb would work in the pinnacle. I, I would also put you could also put Serena Deeb in Team Taz. I think she works for that, too. More Serena Deeb, the better, has always been my theory. And we would get some Serena Deeb up next as she took on Sky Blue. And this was fun because... So they mentioned on commentary that Deeb is from the area or, or she's not too far from it. But a lot of good, like, we got a solid Deeb chant going. I was like, yeah, yeah, all right. People cheering for Serena Deeb. I like this. Um, so Serena Deeb did that normal thing where she looks really, really, really good at wrestling. There was a sign that I saw in the crowd that said Serena Deeb, goat of women's wrestling. I don't know if she's the greatest of all time, but she's really, really good. And I love watching her wrestle. She's got such a Bret Hart style to her. 
Um, so she hit a bunch of moves. She looked basically dominant throughout this thing. And then she won with the Sarandi lock, which is my favorite finishing move in all of professional wrestling right now. The way she just viciously grabs her opponent's leg and just rams it into the mat repeatedly before then locking her up in the submission. I love it. I think it's great. So Hikaru Shida is going to be gone for a little while. She's, of course, in storyline, she's got that knee injury, and I guess she's gone back to Japan uh, for a little bit, and that knee injury was the way of sort of writing her off television for a little bit. So Serena Deeb, I think now, is, has really bounced back after losing the, the trilogy of matches to Hikaru Shida. Because uh, she lost two in a row to Sheeta, but then she beat Sheeta last week on Dynamite. Now she beat Sky Blue this week on Dynamite. And it just seems like, all right, she's really in a position now to to be a, a, a big deal in this division. But there's also two heel champions right now. So, like, she's still, like, number three on the heel list in the women's division because you got Britt Baker, number one, Jade Cargill, number two, and then you got Serena Deeb. Meanwhile, like baby faces, you've got Thunder Rosa. It's probably the biggest one. You've got um, Chris Statlander, fairly big. You did have Riho for a while, but she lost the title match, so she's probably booked down. You've also got Nyla Rose on the heel side. So like the top of the AEW women's division is, is starting to become solidified with names a little bit. Baby faces, you've also got Sheeta, but she's gone for a little while. Um I'm sure I'm sure I'm missing some really good names there. Um, so I don't know if Serena Deeb is going to get into another storyline before Sheeta comes back. But when Sheeta comes back, you've now got their head to head series tied at two. And I think a best of seven series would work excellent for these two. But I would do it all in one match. So I'd have one match on the Revolution pay-per-view. That's a best two out of three falls. And then that's the blow off to the feud. But we'll see if that's what they do. To the main event, we had Darby Allen and Sting going up against the Acclaimed. So this was interesting because Darby Allen and Sting seem like they're moving into a storyline with Andrade El Idolo. Oh, and it was also announced at some point that El Idolo is now 51% owner of the Hardy family office. And it's now not the HFO, it's the AHFO. So they've got some sort of business going on. And they talked about people that they'd want to bring into the stable. And Hardy was like, there's that uh, one person you really want in. And Andrade was like, yeah, the, the little kid that's with Sting all the time. And I, I love that he refers to Darby Allen as this little kid that hangs out with Sting all the time. And it's this idea that Andrade doesn't get that, that Darby Allen is not like an employee of Sting's or, or like, perform some assistant role for Sting. Uh, and Andrade wants to purchase Darby Allen. That's the storyline that's going on. He wants to purchase Darby Allen and bring him into the AHFO. But we wouldn't really get too much about that. Like, they didn't focus on that angle during this match. It was more just about the match between Darby Allen and Sting versus the Acclaimed. But that's just, that's in the background, you know? Like, we know that's going on. And we'll see where it develops. At some point, I imagine Darby Allen is going to get upset that he's unable to purchase this little kid away from Sting. And we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but I thought this was cool. Uh, in the buildup to this, the acclaimed released like a diss track 
on Sting and Darby Allen, which was all it like just had lines about two grown men going through a goth phase. Pretty funny. But then to start this match, the acclaimed attack Darby Allen wrapped his head in a chair, then threw him into the post, and that took him out for basically the first bit of the match, like the first half. And so Sting was having to wrestle all alone. Then we get back from commercial break, and the numbers advantage is really helping the acclaimed go on to offense, but then Darby Allen comes back. And anyway, uh, they go through a whole thing. And it ends with uh, Darby Allen picking up the victory for his team with a coffin drop. And I thought it was notable that they didn't do any type of like angle after this. Like the main event was just Darby Allen and Sting winning a wrestling match. And there had been, I had heard criticisms. Like I think Lance Storm said this about how like there was just too many angles last week. Like everything was angle focused. And I actually like that about AEW is that you won't get a lot of random pointless matches. They all play into something, whether or not like, you know, either they're playing into like a future title shot or they have something to do with a storyline that's developing. This was just straight up. It was just like a little match. They'd had a feud for a small amount of time. I don't think they'll have another match after this, but it was just a good wrestling match where you got to cheer for Darby Allen and Sting because everybody likes to cheer for Darby Allen and Sting. And they could have done an angle where Andrade came out at the end and like again inquired about purchasing Darby Allen. And that could have furthered that storyline. But I think they just decided, no, let's ease up on storylines for some of these matches this week. Because a lot of matches didn't have angles attached to them. Serena Deeb versus Sky Blue didn't have an angle attached to it. Uh, I think that's about it. Everything else did. Yeah, okay, everything else did. So there was two matches. They ended they ended uh, this show with two matches that didn't really have to do with storylines too much. Um, Sting and Darby Allin beating the Acclaimed was just Sting and Darby Allin beating the Acclaimed. The match had been built up. There'd been a bit of an angle there, but the main angle with Sting and Darby Allin still seems to be revolving around Andrade El Idolo. And then Serena Deeb's not involved in the storyline because she just gone back to Japan. So this wasn't about an angle. It was just about Serena Deeb being a badass and beating up Sky Blue. And I, I almost wonder if that was like something purposeful that they did. They were like, ah, let's make sure our last couple of matches, it's not like angle focus, it's just like match focused. But that's kind of what Rampage is. Rampage is match focused. Dynamite is angle focused. But this week, the last couple of matches were sort of more just match focused. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. Alexa, stop. Uh, all right. So let's go over. We had a bunch of matches announced for Rampage this Friday. We'll have John Moxley returning to the ring. He'll face Ethan Page. Hook will return to Rampage. It's kind of becoming like his show. He'll take on Serpentico. For the TBS Championship, Jade Cargill will take on Anna Jay. And in a match, many New Japan Pro Wrestling fans are going to be looking forward to. The Young Bucks will take on Rocky Romero and Trent Beretta, better known as Rapungi Vice. Then announced for AEW Dynamite next week, Layla Hirsch will take on Red Velvet in Layla Hirsch's first match as a heel. 
We will have Chris Jericho teaming with Santana and Ortiz going up against Daniel Garcia and 2.0. And we had a segment backstage this week where Santana and Ortiz sort of expressed that they didn't disagree with sentiment expressed by Eddie Kingston previously, that maybe Jericho is the reason that they have never won the AEW Tag Team Championships. Kingston is out of action for a little bit with a broken orbital bone. They think he'll be back in three weeks, so they're going to have to continue this storyline without him for a little bit. Also next week, we'll have the TNT Championship ladder match as Cody Rhodes goes up against Sammy Guevara. And we will have the lights out match between Adam Cole and Orange Cassidy. So that's a fairly big, like a fairly loaded lineup for Beach Break. They're calling the show Beach Break. It's taking place from Cleveland in January. So I don't know who they're kidding with that one. But but like that's a fairly stacked show. Like those are, I mean, the lights out match with Adam Cole and Orange Cassidy. That's a big match. And the latter match with Cody Rhodes and Sammy Guevara. So those are two like main event style matches. Like you go most dynamite without getting a match that's as significant as those two. And so we've got two in the show next week. But that will do it for this week's video. We will review next week's Dynamite uh, on next Thursday as well. Uh, so if you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe and the like button. Uh, that helps our channel get viewed by more people. And once again, I'm your host, Gentleman Ian, for Spoiler Free Wrestling.